former Baptist, former Assembly of God, former Calvary Chapel, former Methodist, mm -hmm. the, all people who had, had come to Christ in different churches, then done what I had done, tried to embrace their homosexuality, and found that they still wanted the peace of at least telling themselves, but I'm still a Christian, I still go to church. So they found the pro-gay interpretation of the Bible, which was promoted at the Metropolitan Community Church. Mm -hmm. What we found is that the, the celibate gay Christian movement is really picking up a lot of steam within the evangelical church. People start separating themselves from other members of the body. I'm a gay celibate Christian. You've created your own category. Now that makes you susceptible to a number of things. One of them is the victim mindset. Yes. Where we find ourselves is certainly not a complete eradication of all temptation of same-sex desire, but the ability, like, I mean, it once so ruled my life that I was absolutely bound to it. People who will refer to me as either uh, lying about my same-sex attraction and the strength of it at one time, or I'm now in a very unhealthy uh, situation of denial. And um, But if this is denial, I mean, I'll take it every day because my, my, my worst days today are better than my best days ever were back, you know, back in the day. Gary, I'm Joe Dallas. I'm the founder of Cloudfire Ministries. That's a uh, biblical counseling ministry here in Orange County, California. This is work I've been doing for 36 years now. Actually began in uh, the spring of 1987. My wife, Renee, does quite a bit of the ministry along with me, and she and I have been married since 1987 as well. Uh, we serve people who are, uh, the word we most often use is struggling, meaning that they have sexual desires or attractions that they don't want to give into, but they want to know how to uh, better manage, uh, whether those desires are homosexual desires or transgender or um, simply for pornography or different forms of promiscuity. Mm -hmm. So we're really about helping people be better disciples. I mean, that's that's the bottom exactly. line. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of an outgrowth of something that happened in my own life, Gary. I'm one of many people, and when I say many, I'm talking millions, really, within the body of Christ, who had been born again, but was continuing to wrestle with sexual feelings he wished he didn't have. When I say millions, I don't want to insinuate that millions of people in the church are dealing with homosexual struggles or temptations, mm -hmm. but I think it's safe to say millions are dealing with some kind of sexual temptation. And I think this has been for decades now a real challenge to the church teaching people to steward their bodies and to steward their sexual desires by being able to, of course, confess what those desires are, hopefully before the person gives into them, and then learn what to do about them, how to resist them, how to deal with them, how to diffuse them when diffusion is possible, how to legitimately satisfy the needs that those desires might be representing. So again, I was one of those millions who was silently struggling, and I'm talking silent. Mm. <laughs> this, uh, I was born again in 1971. I was 16 years old. Wow. I'm 68 now, so I'll save our listeners from doing the math. <laughs> so, yeah, old guy. Uh, back in 1971, uh, well, shoot, Gary, nobody did what you're doing. Right. <laughs> nobody talked about this. Nobody did a show where you, as Christian men, talked about sexual sin that you yourself were wrestling with and temptations you had and so forth. This was just pretty much verboten. Uh, but I had uh, been dating a girl who took me to Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, where Pastor Chuck Smith was uh, leading the church. And that was right in, in the throes of what's today called the Jesus Movement, mm. when Thousands of hippies were getting, well, not just hippies, but largely kids of the 60s and 70s were getting born again. Yeah. And it was a revival, and it was just a, a wonderful time, I believe, in church history and in American history. Um, but I had, prior to that, already had numerous uh, sexual relationships with men. I had been molested as a boy. 
I am always careful to say I don't believe that all homosexual men were molested or that molestation automatically creates homosexuality. But in my case, absolutely, it created one thing it always creates, and that's confusion. So whatever the end result of a molestation will be, one of the first things that will happen across the board is confusion. Mm -hmm. It confuses the heck out of the kid. And there are a lot of lies that get lodged very deeply in that kid's soul. That's one of the the evil aspects of uh, abuse or molestation. And so by the time I was 16, I had already engaged in numerous uh, sexual relationships with adult men and was starting to identify myself as gay, in fact, by then, which, uh, hey, in 1971, that could get you killed. But I was always a a maverick, and so I thought a gay identity, how awesome to not only stop hiding this part of me, but to actually celebrate it. That was very appealing to me. Mm -hmm. But uh, I also enjoyed being with uh, uh, young women, and and I was dating a very beautiful uh, girl who was one of our, actually one of our homecoming princesses at my high school, and she took me to Calvary. I went for a couple of months there and came under intense conviction, Mm. finally said yes, and was born again in 1971. Now, the problem was I thought being born again meant the elimination of all wayward temptations. Mm -hmm. And this is, to this day, a common misnomer among among many believers. If you're a true Christian, you wouldn't feel that way, whatever that way is. And I think that that um, is a misunderstanding of what it is to be a new creature in Christ. Uh, To be a new creature in Christ, of course, is to be positioned, seated with Christ in heavenly places, born again, all things made new in the eternal sense. But there is the old nature that we still deal Mm -hmm. with. And that's something I wish we talked about more candidly, yes. is the Pauline description, especially in Romans um, 5, 6, and 7, about the warfare between the flesh and the mm-hmm. spirit. Because that old nature is not going to get better. The flesh is the old nature which we inherited from our father Adam, and it is full of, well, it's a cesspool yep. of every kind of ungodly desire and lust and, and what have you. Uh, so when I was born again, the fact that I still had sexual temptations, it plagued me. It made me feel as though that I was somehow a second-rate believer. And so for years, I waited for all sexual temptations to be eliminated, and I found that indeed, to a large extent, they were. I would have to say I very rarely felt homosexual desires, but when I did, I thought, oh my gosh, here it is again. Joe Dallas is a failure. I can't even do this right. And so finally, by the time I hit age 23, after a very zealous time of walking with the Lord and even serving with ministry, I said, I'm out of here. The gay rights movement was uh, really gaining ground by then. It was 1978. Mm-hmm. And I thought... I've had it with trying to say no to something that is so deeply ingrained. I came out of the closet, declared myself, joined a pro-gay church, and actually for years was on staff of a gay-affirming church and very aggressively promoted the idea that homosexuality and Christianity were compatible until early 1984. And in 1984, there was no big catastrophe that happened, uh, Gary, but I did find myself more and more dissatisfied with what I was doing and less and less assured that I was doing the right thing, Mm. which was ironic because by early 1984, my life was just in terrific shape. I mean, I loved my job. I loved the, the apartment I had, the social life I had. Everything was going very well. But I couldn't account for the fact that I was constantly waking up in the middle of the night thinking something's wrong. And finally, two crucial questions came to me. And these are questions that I find most of my clients have asked themselves in one form or another before they come in for counseling. Am I in God's will? Does it matter? Mm. Those are the two big questions. Sure. I had been born again. Now, we could argue back and forth whether or not I lost my salvation when I came out or if I was simply backslidden or deceived or carnal or in rebellion, but whatever the case may be. It wasn't good. I personally did not feel that I was not a Christian. I was certainly, I'm not about to to even insinuate Mm -hmm. that there's anything okay about being a Christian practicing homosexuality. I don't believe I lost my salvation, but I was severely backslidden, hugely deceived. I was in wild rebellion and very hardened in my heart. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the question. The question was, well, even if I am saved, am I in God's will? Which is a pretty serious thing. Mm -hmm. 
to consider. And then even more serious, I had to ask myself, do I care whether or not I'm in God's will? Because if I don't care, what has my life been about? I've called myself a Christian all these years. If it matters so little to me, then I probably should stop calling myself a Christian. And that's when I realized, oh, wow, crisis of truth. I have been kidding myself. And that's when I was brought to repentance in January of 1984. So I relocated. I uh, got into some good Christian therapy, which for me was extremely helpful. I didn't know about ministries like yours, Gary. I didn't know about Exodus International or any of the, the services available at that time, as few as they were. So I just went through the phone book, found a good Christian counselor, laid it all out to him, and got myself into a good Bible-believing church. Got myself hooked up with a lot of different groups within the church, which I always recommend my clients do, get grounded in a local church. And this I don't think we can harp on enough. The counseling I got was fine. That sort of parachurch ministry approach, it was very helpful in a lot of ways, but the real changes happened in the context of the local church. That's where the real meal was, if you want to look at it that way. The other things I was doing were the supplements. That's when my life started to truly change. The way I saw myself, the way I felt about people, the way I viewed men, the way I viewed women. Yes, my sexual feelings and desires as well. Until I met uh, a young woman who was in the same choir I had joined. And um, she started showing up at a lot of different events that I was in. When I was playing softball with the men's league by then and attending different Bible studies. And I think our friends were playing Cupid because... By strange coincidence, we always found ourselves in the same place. I finally worked up enough nerve to ask her out, and uh, I told her on our second date where I'd been and what I was dealing with. We took it slow. Three years later, we were married to do the Reader's Digest Mm. version of all this. So that was when both my family life and my ministry started at the same time. And so uh, I've had the honor since then of working with the many, many women and men within the church who we're in the same place I was. Yeah. And there will continue to be until Christ comes, those in the church who want to be better stewards of their sexuality. And what's especially exciting to me, and I'll leave it at this, Gary, um, you and I are dealing with a lot of salmon, if you think about it. Mm. I mean, they're swimming upstream. Yes. In 2023, good heavens. You know, when I repented, there nobody was even talking about same-sex marriage, for heaven's sake. Yeah. Nobody was even talking about uh, all of the different, uh, you know, social advances that the gay rights movement has made. Um, so at that time, the majority of people in our environment still believed homosexuality was wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not true now. Yeah. Uh, and yet, even in these very gay-affirming times, people are responding to the call of the gospel to repent and be born again and to lead a sanctified life. And um, that's, to me, one of the most wonderful, exciting things about these days is we're able to minister to the remnant, to the people who are saying, I don't give a rip what the drift of the world is. I'm going in a different way, though none will follow, to put it in a colloquial sense. Yes, yes. No, absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that, um, Joe. I... um, uh, one of the things that, as I was listening to your story, that I think um, I, I've gotten wrong a little bit is when um, when you were in the Metropolitan Gay Church, um, you were, were you in leadership at one point in, in that church? Certainly was. I was on staff, pastoral staff. I yep. went through their training for about a year and a half to two years, and I was on the pastoral staff for at least another perhaps two to three years. So I was regularly preaching at the church and uh, doing Bible studies. Mm -hmm. And if I can just take a minute to explain something here, because I think it's important. Gary, in in the gay-affirming church I attended, nobody I met had been born again within that church. Mm -hmm. No one. Every person there was what I call a former. Former Baptist, former Assembly of God, former Calvary Chapel, former Methodist, mm-hmm. the old people who had, had come to Christ in different churches, then done what I had done, tried to embrace their homosexuality, and found that they still wanted the peace of at least telling themselves, but I'm still a Christian, I still go to church. So they found the pro-gay interpretation of the Bible, which was promoted at the Metropolitan Community Church. Mm-hmm. And so um, all of us there, every person I knew there, came from a a biblically-based background. And as a result, that still influenced a lot of what we did. 
Now, I told you I preached and I taught Bible studies. Gary, I maybe 10% of the time even talked about gay issues when I was preaching. Mm. Most of my Bible studies were all expository Bible studies. Most of my preaching was just regular preaching. And uh, this is where it gets interesting. Many of us um, retained the spiritual gifts God had given us because, as Paul said to the Romans, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So that actually made it easier for me to tell myself, hey, God blessed that Bible study or the gifting is still there or whatever is still there. I must be in God's will. Mm-hmm. And it was very easy to tell myself that. What I had to re-examine after I repented was the fact that the Corinthian church was not in God's will. Mm-hmm. Ain't no way that place was that place was a mess. Um, but the gifts were still manifest there. So we never want to look at the gifts, the fact that a person can still sing, preach, maybe exercise spiritual gifts, and say, well, if those are intact, the person must be living a sanctified life. That's not true. Yeah. I wish it was true, right. but it wasn't. I was very deceived because I had been very rebellious. And I think that my rebellion opened the door to my deception. As soon as you say, my desire overrides God's will, once you're in that frame of mind, you'll fall for just about anything. Right. So my deception wasn't an accident. It wasn't like, oh, poor Joe, he was innocently <laughs> deceived. No, I wasn't. Yep. I wasn't. Yep. I was in rebellion, and that set me up for being deceived. Yeah, it sounds very similar to a lot of my own story in that. And what you were saying about, um, well, it reminds me what you're just saying, that we oftentimes mistake God's grace or God's mercy for God's approval or God's acceptance, right? Right. Um, which right. is a dangerous place to be. Um, the So I had thought, actually, that you had actually, after being on staff at the church, that you had come to faith, and um, it, and it, which is obviously not true, but I thought that you would come to faith uh, and, and, and thought, oh my gosh, I've got to get out of here. Like you recognize the deception that you had been under, but was it, was what I'm thinking of as you coming to faith, was that a point of, of coming to a place of repentance and then seeing that clearly as well, the error? Well, yes. Uh, I mean, first of all, just to clarify, I was born again. I first yes. came to faith in 1971, yes. backslid in 1978, yep. around the end of 1978, joined the gay church then realized in early 1984 I had been wrong, and that's when I repented. Now, by then, I should say, I had withdrawn somewhat from the church anyway, so it wasn't like I had to resign my church position by then. I had pulled away Mm -hmm. for a number of other reasons. Uh, There there were just different things within the church that didn't appeal to me, and I realized, no, that's not the direction I Mm want to go. Um, But I still considered myself a gay Christian, you know? Yeah. And uh, so when I had to make my move, I basically, as I said, relocated to another county and had to cut off most all of my ties. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in in fairness, I didn't really have to cut off my ties. Most of my ties cut me off. Right, right, of course. Because, I mean, hey, you can't very well hang on to your gay friends if you're saying to them, I've repented of homosexuality <laughs> because I've now seen right. that it's wrong. What does that say about them? Yes, you know? yes, so, exactly. You know. Well, and, and what you said a moment ago also triggers another another thought or question I want to ask you. For me, it was very important that, and I didn't even realize how important at the time, but it was important that I uh, that I not only let go of my behaviors, but that I let go of um, this identity that I am, I had embraced as a gay man. Uh, that oh, that yeah. it was part and parcel. That uh, I think I could have attempted to to uh, reject the behaviors while holding on to an identity that if I were to act on would be sin, you know, marry that identity to my Christianity, which of course we know as the um, as the celibate gay Christian movement. But how important right. was that for you, do you think, of of um, of releasing that identity? And did they did they come at different times for you or is it kind of part of the same experience? Well, that came immediately, Gary. It, it it was and remains so important that I really never thought there'd be a time we'd have to argue about this right. with anybody. It seemed so self-evident to me the night I repented um, that I could, well, let me put it this way. I know the Spirit of God spoke to me very plainly mm-hmm. that I was never again to refer to myself as a gay man. 
Now, I was also very, very convicted of the fact that I must never pretend that I don't have feelings that I really had. Yes. I couldn't, you, you know. So I know God wasn't calling me to just right. pretend, you know. No. But I was not to identify myself with those feelings. I was a Christian man who had a number of temptations, homosexual temptations being one of many. Mm-hmm. But I was never again to uh, use that label, and I have never used it since mm-hmm. then, and I never will. Now, the reason I feel that is so important, we see nothing biblical about identifying ourselves by a sinful tendency, do we? Right. I mean, we, we don't. Um, that is one real problem with what you were referring to as the celibate gay Christian movement. It is an identification with a sinful tendency, and our identification is not to be with any sinful tendency. Secondly, it does put a positive term on a sinful temptation. I don't hold it against anybody if they have a sexual temptation of any Mm -hmm. kind. I I don't think that's a sin. I think it's a result of sin nature, though. However, you don't refer to that temptation in positive terms. Mm-hmm. Now, just for example, and I, I may sound a little more facetious than I mean to, but, um, um, well, men who are promiscuous are often called players, okay? Right. Guys who sleep around a lot. Now, if a man had been called to repent, God called him into a, a holy life, and the man has repented of the sin of promiscuity, but he still is tempted to flirt with a lot of women and to see how far he can go, and he has that temptation constantly. Gary, could you imagine that man saying, I'm a celibate Christian player? Right. Well, that's absurd. Mm-hmm. And yet, I don't see the difference. Yeah. See what I mean? Yep. So I, I think that there is also something in that mindset, you know, that is very um, counterproductive to our own sanctification. When people start separating themselves from other members of the body, I'm a gay celibate Christian, you've created your own category. Now, that makes you susceptible to a number of things. One of them is the victim mindset. Yes. Poor us. We are the gay celibate Christians. We're the sexual minority. Mm-hmm. We're the misunderstood. We're the, and that keeps you in a self-pitying and I think a self-justifying mindset which keeps you away from the very things you need, the emotional, spiritual nutrients you'll get from other members of the body if you don't separate yourselves from them with that kind of of labeling. I have known of too many times when people who adopted that label with perhaps the best of intentions, after a while, wound up legitimizing those temptations. So I think it puts you in a very limited mindset. It's basically... Like coming out of Egypt, good for you, but refusing to go into Canaan, bad for you. Yes. You see. And uh, so for all of those reasons, I I don't think anybody is doing anybody any favors by either adopting the gay celibate label or by encouraging anybody else to do it. I think this has become, is becoming and has become a serious issue within the church. And I'm I'm afraid it's going to get more serious before it gets better. Yeah, I think uh, one of the reasons that it is becoming so widely accepted. For example, uh, we often use um, the four, uh, the, the one-page PDF that Jason Thompson put together of the four categories or the four perspectives mm-hmm. on LGBT and the church. Um, and we found that to be really helpful just in terms of, of uh, being able to dialogue and, and understand some uh, <clears throat> some some ways of categorizing uh, different perspectives and uh, but what we found is that the the celibate gay Christian mu- movement is really picking up a lot of steam within the evangelical church because they're not in that first category of celebrating um, uh, you know full on uh, homosexual behavior, uh, that God, the, the idea of pro-gay theology and God blesses, um, uh, sexual unions between two men or two women, et cetera. They're not there, but, and so because of that, so many evangelical churches are saying, well, that's good. And so, and we would agree that part is good, but they've kind of embraced this perspective of, of embracing this, um, uh, the label and the identification, uh, and merging that to our Christianity. And I, and what's concerning for us, Melissa, my wife, Melissa, and myself, what's concerning for us is that uh, our identity is really um, the the foundation of which we operate out of. I mean, who we perceive ourselves yes, to is. be is, is actually more important 
um, than what we do with our bodies because it leads to what we do with our bodies. It leads to what we believe to be true. Um, do you, I know, do you feel like there's anything to add to that perspective? I would just reaffirm what you said. I'm thinking of the proverb that says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Yeah. The way you identify yourself would have, have much to do with the way you present yourself and with the way you interact with God and, and with others. Mm-hmm. I've read uh, a lot of the material by groups like Revoice and, and the different authors yeah. that uh, have, have put out uh, books as gay celibate Christians. And I find myself agreeing with 80% or more of what they're saying. Sure. I love a lot of what they say. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, I listened to the uh, presentations from the first Revoice conference when uh, that was held a few years back, and I I was very moved by a lot mm-hmm. of what I heard and absolutely related to a lot of what I heard. Yeah. Um, but what concerned me was that people seemed to be saying you have to choose between either being gay-affirming or gay identifying. In other words, if you are going to repent of homosexuality, you still have to identify yourself as homosexual, Mm -hmm. or you need to simply embrace homosexual behavior. And my feeling is, do we apply that thinking to any other sin? Right. I mean, we've got people in the church who have, have repented of racism, spousal abuse, drug abuse, laziness. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many sins? The list is very long, yet I don't hear people identifying themselves by those sinful tendencies. Yes. Um, and and I think that in in doing so, we are basically not only over-categorizing people, but we're forcing them to choose an outcome. And this is something I've, I've come to feel strongly about, especially in the last 15 years or so, Gary. Uh, the call to Christ, the call to salvation, mm-hmm. the invitation he gave, come unto me all, um, and the call to discipleship. Anybody wants to come after me, you take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. That call is universal. Yes. It's it's the same for everybody, isn't it? We all, every person has the same call in their life. Mm-hmm. First, you must be born again. And then having been born again, you must be a disciple. That call is universal. The outcome is unique. Because where is it going to take us? I don't know. Yep, right. Some of us get married, some of us stay single, some of us are martyred, some of us become millionaires, you mm-hmm. know? Not me or anybody I know, but some <laughs> right. But I'm, I, You know, think about um, the end of John's Gospel, okay? Uh, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he's telling him, um, you know, you've, you've pretty much gone where you wanted to go, but now you're going to be led. Yeah. Somebody else is going to lead you, you know? And Peter looks over at John and goes, well, what about him? And and Jesus kind of gently said to him, that's none of your business. Yeah. Right. If it's my desire for him to live until I come again, what's it to you? Follow me. Mm-hmm. Now, what's he, what he's saying there is important. He's saying to all of you, follow me. Where that's going to take you, that will be unique to the individual. Some people repent of homosexual sin and find that on a daily basis for the rest of their lives, they wrestle with some degree of homosexual temptation. And in many cases, they choose to live celibate lives. And I gotta tell you, I know some people who live that life who are living fruitful, productive, powerful lives. Yes. So I I don't feel sorry for them, and they sure don't feel sorry for right. themselves. I mean, they are wow, godly women and men who I admire and have tremendous respect for. Mm-hmm. Others find that, wow, the feelings, if they are there, I sure don't know where they are anymore, you know? Yeah. And others in between are like, well, sometimes I struggle. Sometimes. There's a very broad spectrum. Mm-hmm. And this, again, is true of any sinful tendency. When people repent of a sin, the outcome is not always the same as to what they will be tempted with or to what degree they will be tempted. Yes. And I think honest Christians will admit some people repent of gossip and find that they hardly ever slip for the rest of their lives. Others repent of gossip, and every day they got to zip it, yep. they got to resist, they have to deal with it. Right. And this is true of overeating, of alcohol, of violent behavior, mm-hmm. of idolatry, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, yep. yeah. So, why do we feel the need to strictly categorize the outcome of someone who repents of homosexual sin? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, that outcome for all of us must include abstaining from the sin. Sure. Yeah. And there's, there's no pass that we get on that. But as to what degree of relief we'll find from our own temptations, 
I found, just for example, uh, those first few years after I repented, ginormous changes happening in the way I experienced my sexual desires mm-hmm. and how often they came and how strong they came. And by the time I I was ready to marry my wife, I was very attracted mm-hmm. to her and very rarely had homosexual temptations. However, I'm never going to say that could never happen to me again. Sure. Um, I think that we can always go back to where we've been. And for that reason, I'm never going to be one to say it could never tempt me again. I I would have to say, in fairness, it does not tempt me, but I also know under what circumstances it could. Yep, right. And and so I, for logical reasons, personally, I wouldn't go evangelizing at a gay pride parade. Sure. Bunch of guys dancing around half naked, I don't think it'd be good for yep. me. I don't see anything wrong with that, with with guy, with sure. evangelizing. I see a lot wrong with dancing half sure, naked. Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. you know. Same reason I wouldn't go witnessing at gay bars. I don't see anything wrong with that, but it, I don't think it would be wise for me to do sure. it. Would that stir up temptations? I don't know. I don't want to find out. I think I'd be vulnerable. Yeah. Now, if I was really, quote unquote, delivered, that wouldn't be an issue, would it? Mm-hmm. But it is. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, I like my life the way it is. I don't want to mess it up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, yeah. I know other people who have, who have said, I'm so delivered that wouldn't in any way tempt me. Well, good for them. Right. But I'll, I guess this is why I'm getting back to that same point. We don't have to pick a curtain number one, two, three, four, or five as far as the outcome goes. We as the body of Christ, when we call people to re- repentance, we say, okay, you will be given what you need by the power of the Holy Spirit to lead a faithful life. We will be there with you yes. when you have temptations. We do not require of you that you be absent temptations. We require of you what we require of ourselves. Let's all grow together and resist sin and seek the will right. of God in our lives. And that way, you don't have to throw a label on somebody, ex-gay, celibate gay, former gay, whatever, you know, because uh, I don't see that in Scripture. I don't see anywhere in Scripture. Other than the the only reference I find to people like you and me, actually, in all of the Bible, Gary, is First uh, Corinthians six nine and ten. Yeah, and eleven. Such where were some of you in the past tense, right? <clears throat> yes. The only description of us is one with the past tense to it. You no longer right. do that, right? And now you're washed and sanctified and justified. I'll take it. Yeah. No. Exactly. And uh, I mean, what you're speaking to certainly reminds me of of the reality of where Melissa and I find ourselves and, and the many people that we've had conversations with, um, hundreds over the years, but where we find ourselves is certainly not a complete eradication of all temptation of same sex desire, but the ability, like, I mean, it once so ruled my life that I was absolutely bound to it. I mean, there was, there Mm -hmm. no question that I was, but the and 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 what I often uh, will hear, or on and maybe actually at this point more on occasion will hear, are people who will refer to me as either uh, lying about my same sex attraction and the strength of it at one time, or I'm now in a very unhealthy uh, situation of denial. And um, but if this is denial, I mean, I'll take it every day because my de- my my worst <laughs> days today me. are better than my best days ever were back you know back in the day. And, um, oh, God, yeah, I'm right with you there. <clears throat> yep. And so right with you there, the ability and the, the, the goodness to be, and not everyone does go on to get married as you've rightly said, but the ability to be married to Melissa and to enjoy being a husband to her in every way. And, um, and to be a father to, to my boys. And uh, I mean, the blessings that we have that God has, uh, lavished on us, taking me from a place of exclusive same-sex attraction. It wasn't like I was bisexual. I really had a, uh, an aversion to the idea of ever, I mean, on the one hand, like, would it like, I like the idea of, of being married and having a family, uh, it, it, at one point and, and another, uh, other points, I just rejected the whole thing thinking I'd be a horrible father. I'd be a horrible husband. Why would I ever want that? And then when I fully embraced this identity of a, of, of a gay man, I utterly rejected all of that because I was exclusively same-sex attracted. So for God to be able to take me from that place to to this journey that I continue to be on and the and and yes, the temptations um 
they uh temptations will still come up from time to time but it's nothing like they used to be i mean the ability to say no and to and to you know they're an annoyance or a nuisance from time to time not something that rules my life anymore and that's something i'm incredibly thankful for um and i think we need to talk about that more and you said this too it's not that we pretend we don't have those um, attractions or that we still have a desire at times toward um, uh, areas of, of sin that we used to indulge in. I mean, that's true for anybody on any level uh, in, in most cases. And um, I sometimes joke that we know like two people who had a total eradication of their, you know, of, of their uh, temptations and desires for same-sex attraction. And the rest of us all hate those two people because that's what we all wanted, right? I mean, we wanted that curtain, um, but God had a different plan for us, but it was a good plan and it was a wholesome plan. Yeah. But isn't it funny the way we categorize these types of things? Because after all, Gary, suppose you had that eradication. Yep. How many other thousands of sinful temptations would you still be dealing exactly, with? Exactly, right. God never said to us, these are the sins you have got to be sure to be completely relieved of if you want to really be walking in power, because as soon as you've dealt with 10 sins, you're going to have 500 more yep. that you're going to be dealing with. That's why when people ask me, did you get better? I say, oh yeah, I did. My flesh didn't. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's still there. That, that old man is full of yes. vicious idolatry and rebellion and hatred and lust and malice and laziness and just you know it and we don't send our flesh to counseling to get better do we we don't lay hands on our flesh to transform it the flesh is can yep. only be crucified that's the only thing yep. we do with it but you know think about this is kind of a soapbox issue to me gary uh the absurdity of of that all or nothing mentality. If you were not completely relieved of homosexual desires, you didn't change at all. Mm -hmm. Yet you stopped having sex with men. You married Melissa. You have fathered children. Nothing changed. Huh? Yeah, I mean, right. I a couple of years, almost two years ago now, um, I knocked off about fifty five pounds. Mm -hmm. Now I'd still like to lose about ten more. I think that'd be about right mm -hmm. where I ought to be. You know, but. If I'm still 10 pounds overweight, now how stupid would it be to say I didn't change it? Yep. Right. I had to throw out all my old clothes. Mm -hmm. Of course I changed. Yes. I didn't change as completely as I'd like to. And I'm still half bald and I still got wrinkles <laughs> and, you know, still got hair on my lower back. You really needed to know that, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, point is, I, you know, uh, but absolutely I changed. Yep. How stupid to to assume I didn't, yeah. and in fact, how stupid to not admit that for the vast majority of the human race, Christian or non-Christian, one of the hardest things for us to deal with is the fact that our desires would take us outside of what we really want. Yeah, I'm not even putting that in a biblical sense. Mm -hmm. Whenever somebody really wants something, it's their high priority, there are other desires they have that are contrary to yeah. that. I want to get a PhD, but I have a desire to flake off and go to the beach. I want to be in good shape, but I want to eat donuts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's certainly true of our sexuality. People say, I want this woman. I want to marry her. Mm -hmm. I want to be with her for the rest of my life. But yes, at times, I also want to look at pornography online. I'm, that's right. So for all of us, this this is a great challenge of life is being able to steward your sexual desires so that, that you are living in congruence with what you really believe. And that's success. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we are not going to be asked about what still tempted us. We are going to be asked how faithful were you when you were tempted. Yes. That's the athlete who gets the crown. Right, exactly. And that's why secular books like Atomic Habits, James Clear. That's why these books are written based on the principles you're talking about. I mean, there it's so, you know, we sometimes say uh, all truth is God's truth. It doesn't matter whether whether an atheist stumbles upon it or not. If it's rooted right. in a scripture and it's true, it's God's truth. And and so regardless of whether a book, and, and we have all these self-help books, some of them are garbage, but some of them are phenomenal. And, and they're yeah. based on it, it, even in Clear's book, he talks about our identity and the need for uh, having a different perception about the way we identify ourselves. I'm like, well, isn't that interesting? Yeah. I mean, it's it's so true. Uh, but but it's yeah. and, and he gets in, he doesn't get into this at all. I don't mean to say that at all. But uh, and, but isn't it interesting how 
um, when it comes to sexuality or when it comes to identity within our sexuality or, or desires, that's taken off the table in terms of what we can do in terms of shifting our identity. You know, it brings me back to a point you were saying earlier too, Joe, where um, like the the comparison of, well, we don't apply that to any other sin area of life, right? Um, but But I think what's happened from my perspective, and I would love to get your perspective on this, I really believe that um, the idea that we have we have adopted um, certainly within the the broader culture, um, and then but I think also even in church cultures, even in some really solid Orthodox evangelical uh, churches, who would say, "Oh no, we we understand what the Bible says about sex between." God created that to be within the covenant relationship of marriage alone. Um, heterosexual, sexual acting out outside of that is sin. Homosexual acting out outside of that is sin. They get that, but they still they still have unconsciously, but I think in many ways consciously, have embraced this faulty notion that our sexual desires are our identity. And so these other right. sin areas that you've brought up, and and I I often talk about, and and will say, well, why why would I? you know, it, why would I, um, whether it comes, to, whether it's gossip or it's overeating or it's any of those things, if I haven't, um, uh, if, if there's still a, a temptation in that, in that way, or if, if I'm still struggling in that way, I don't identify myself by that thing. That's not, that's not part of who I am. But I think in the sexual arena, we have made it an identity and we have, we are so believing, um, that that is the case that I think even the church is stumbling over that. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Listen, I think, um, you know, I think it was Francis Schaeffer who said, tell me what the world is saying today, and I'll tell you what the church will be saying, what, some seven years from now. Yeah. Now, who is the authoritative influence in the world, if not Satan, the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience? And in our times past, we walked that way. Mm -hmm. That's the way of the world. Okay. Now, that being the case, if I was Satan and hated you the way Satan hates all of us, because he hates God and hates the objects of God's love, I would do all I could to keep you limited. That's very important to him. Yes. Now, if he can keep you in Egypt, he'll keep you there. But if you dare to emerge from Egypt, if he can't keep you there, the next best thing he can do is keep you in the wilderness. Yep. But for heaven's sake, don't let that Gary go into the promised land. So if he must get out of Egypt, where he practiced that bondage, at least let's keep him in the wilderness where he identifies with that bondage. And that way he will never enter Canaan. Yep. And when you think about what we were created for as men, uh, no, all men are not called to be married. We know that. Mm -hmm. Of course not. And I would never suggest Paul was a second-rate guy. Because sure. he wasn't married by the time he died, for heaven's sake. Mm -hmm. I, I, I I think there's good reason to believe he was widowed, but regardless. Um, one of the first commissions we had, well, God recognized the need for Adam and said, you know, this first critical thing God said about man, mm -hmm. it's not good that he's alone. Most of us are made for partnership. Most of us are made for sexual partnership. Most of us are made to father. I understand different things happen, and 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 but but it is a trajectory. Yeah, you see that that most men should be put on. Most men are meant to be on. If you had believed in staying in the wilderness, there wouldn't be the fathering. There wouldn't be the union. There wouldn't be the life that that has produced. When I look at my sons, I think, what if? Right. I do the same thing. What if I had believed that? Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh, this these amazing men that they are now. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Yeah. And I look even at my union with Renee. Mm -hmm. Forget about kids for mm -hmm. a minute. Just what the life that came out of that. I didn't last with a man for more than six months, Gary. Mm -hmm. I sure tried. I tried a lot of relationships, just never took. Yep. I dated Renee about six times as long as I lived with any man. Yeah. None of that would have happened, you see, if I had accepted that idea that the desires, to whatever extent yep. I had them, had to define me and to limit me. And this is where I think, okay, I'm, I'm often thinking these days about the way Satan viewed Adam and Eve when he saw what God had created, how he had blessed them, and the one that exquisite relationship they had, naked and unashamed, married, to be fruitful and multiply, 
And you know what? I really think I'm going to get a little, you know, uh, subjective here, but I think he said, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. I'll take that. Yep. Yep. I, I, the last thing I want is for them to enjoy that. Right. Family life, propagation, union, all the emotional and spiritual and sexual health that will come from marriage and from all that it's meant to be. Yeah. Absolutely. Darned if I'm just going to sit there and let that happen. And to this day, I think that's what he's saying. Well, and I think there's, in in line with what you're talking about now, what you just mentioned, I was thinking earlier, something I wanted to bring up and ask you, and it fits in here beautifully, um, because I, I agree in terms of the way that being married to Melissa has has formed and shaped me for the better, the way that being a father has formed and shaped me for the better, and, the, and the, that I stand in awe, just like you're talking about with your boys, and, and think, what if, you know? Um, and, yeah. and, uh, but in addition to that, even for those listening to this, who, who aren't married, um, who are not fathers or mothers, uh, and, and aren't sure that that's going to happen for them. Maybe they desire that, or maybe they don't. But the, the other thing to really bring it down to brass tacks is I, I believe that if I had continued to embrace uh, a gay identity, even if I, um, followed, obeyed God with, uh, what I did with my body, and what I did with my mind, you know, sexually, those kinds of things. Um, there, there was, I often look back and recognize that I had the, the form of a man. I had the husk of a man. I wasn't, there, there was, there were, there was a season when I was very young, when I was, uh, there was some, I think, gender identity issues and, and some things of that nature. Not, I, I was pushed out of the world of boys and the world of men. I marinated in the feminine through all of my developmental years. And so naturally, frankly, there, there was some confusion about who I am, but I, I never really, I never bought into the idea that I was a, in the wrong body but I felt like a third gendered thing. I, I just didn't know. I felt like I, I I am a boy, but inwardly, all this stuff that makes that up, like I'm empty. And and so the the thing that as I've as I've interacted with some friends that have kind of hung on to this identity and um it, well, not just kind of, but really insisted that the this gay Christian identity is for them. And and I'm not putting everybody that believes that in this category. I'm simply saying for those that I've had some interaction with and have known well. There's there's a way in which they've, I believe, and I think I would have been right here, I would have stopped becoming as a man. Like, I, there mm-hmm. would have been something, there would have been, I, I would have kind of matured as a man outwardly, intellectually matured, but emotionally, I would have remained a boy in a lot, in, in ways that um, God never intended. And, and there's something of, um, of solidity, there's something of substance that I'm so grateful for that even while I still have some of the attractions we've talked about, there's there's a form and a substance of masculinity um, that that I'm so thankful for today. Like I, I'm uh, where I used to kind of think being a man was almost a liability, or or it was I don't know I, I I just wasn't one, or I didn't feel like I was one. Today I'm I I love being a man, and I love being a man among a man among men. I love being not just a father to my boys, but a spiritual father. And you certainly are that. I mean, you've been a spiritual father to to countless numbers of men and women too. What are your thoughts on that well, idea? I think it, it's true that whether married or single, there is a manhood or a womanhood that we yeah. are meant to come into. And I think that that really is the key issue because you and I both know, I mean, the, the fact that people get married, that is not the proof positive yeah. of healing or of, of, of anything. Really, it's not. Um, and I agree with those who say that in Western culture, we often overrate marriage as sort of the solution, yep. because that goes right back to the Indian of virtually every fairy tale, doesn't it? They married mm-hmm. and they lived happily ever after. That's not the way it plays yep. out. Marriage is very hard work. But you also brought out a good point. Darned if it doesn't bring out the best in yeah, us. You know? <laughs> and I think as as men and women, that's that's absolutely true. There is a core manhood that needs to be developed an adulthood a growth into uh i have often said i experienced my sec my real adolescence when i was about 30 mm-hmm. yeah me <laughs> too know, because that was when i started to really understand what what all those guys had been talking about all those years i'm one of the guys yeah now when you said and it was a very audacious thing to say gary i enjoy being a man well you know these days that's that's cultural blasphemy yeah. You know, the or pigs, we're terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, just, I'm, I'm being facetious, yes. but now seriously, we are living in a time 
where we are being almost commanded by our environment to apologize yes. for manhood, to apologize for characteristics that we used to consider virtues. Now, nobody needs to tell me that there a lot of guys who are stereotypically masculine have also acted like jerks. Right. But they acted like jerks because they were jerks, mm -hmm. not because they were stereotypically masculine. Yes. And I think it's awfully unfair when we look at a guy who loves to drive trucks or ride a motorcycle or play football or smoke a cigar or, you know, is just very, and who also is aggressive and can take charge and is a leader and a protector. We denigrate men like this because what? They're a threat to the sort of non-gender myth that's trying to be imposed mm -hmm. on this nation. And, uh, you know, for that reason, I think men do need to get more comfortable with the idea that, you know, you are what God created you to be, and you should be pursuing becoming as much of what God created you to be yes. as you can. That yes. is not to say God created every man to be, you know, no, um, but every man and woman should be, um, again, basically saying on a daily basis, Lord, more and more today, conform me into the image of the man that you have intended me to be. Well, because that's our true identity. I mean, so yeah. even before Jesus, I hear the church oftentimes uh, saying that our identity is found in Christ. And of course, that's true. But our identity predates that. Our identity actually goes back to the garden where God made us male and female in his image. And so in Christ, we get to, I believe, we get to really um, re-embrace in a way that we cannot connect to apart from Christ. Uh, we actually get to tap into and live out this um, this connection to who we were originally made as male and female in the image of God. Um, and, and so I think those that sense of our identity, and that eliminates everything else. That eliminates all these subsets of yeah. where I felt like I was a subset of the male population way down the rung. Um, and, and it's like, no, I'm just, I'm a dude who deals with this or that, but I'm simply a man made in God's image. I mean, that was so freeing to finally come into that uh, space of not just knowing it in my mind, but really believing it in my heart was critical. Exactly. And, you know, it, <clears throat> it was almost certainly the first thing I ever said about you, Gary. Yeah. It's a boy. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and seriously. Right. For, for even before we were named, we were identified. Yes. And, and as I say, in most every case, the first thing ever said about us post-conception was, it's a boy. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. The mother will say of herself, I am pregnant. But once that test comes in, it's a boy. Right. Now, there's real power in that, yep. because that says a lot about divine intent. That's true. You know, I'm wondering, what what do you, and this could be, you know, an hour-long conversation all by itself, but what are some of your thoughts of, as a ministry, what we focus on at Love and Truth Network, we're not so much working with individuals. I mean, we do, um, we, we do some programs and those kinds of things, but our main emphasis in ministry is working with pastors and Christian leaders and churches, because we yeah. believe that God's plan A for the world is the church, not not parachurch ministry. Uh, we want right. to strengthen the church and bless the church and bless Christian leaders. But we know that in this area of, set aside LGBT, but even in pornography addiction and fornication and, uh, and adultery and all that, the church, when it comes to sex, and certainly when it comes to identity, is we we believe, and I was a pastor for 12 years, we believe we believe the church could do so much better in this this realm in this arena. Um, what are your thoughts about um, about what you'd like to see the church um, leaning into or changing or adjusting or or emphasizing differently in these areas to to be to be strengthened and and to be more of a you know teaching hospitals in a sense. Uh, for those who are broken. Exactly. See, this is one of the reasons I think, uh, Gary, you and Melissa are doing exactly what you should be doing. You have the credibility because you have the biblical foundation, you have the biblical worldview, you have the biblical priorities, you have the stage, the, the, the um, uh, stable marriage and life that you can bring into the work that you're doing, which is critical. And one of the reasons I think you both have had impact over the years and, and are going to continue to. Uh, my heart is exactly where yours is. More than ever, um, Renee and I, my wife Renee and I, we are all about the local church more than anything else. And like you, I, have, I run a parachurch ministry. Yep. 
But as I, I mentioned earlier, we are, we are the supplements. Mm-hmm. You know, the protein powder helps, the vitamin B helps, but the main meal, you got to eat a balanced meal, and you only will get that in your local church. Yeah. So strengthening the local church, not in a patronizing way like, oh, you and I are the geniuses who are going to come along and help these poor pastors. Right. No, no. We're co-laborers. Yes with a specialized area that we've labored in. I think what we want to do, um, of course, with the people who come to us, whether it's in our groups or our seminars or individual counseling, we always want to stress the importance of the local church. And with pastors, we always want to be reminding pastors, because I think that this area has gotten so darn specialized, and it shouldn't have. It never should have. I don't see that specialization in the Bible, that the, the homosexual issue is, is a very separate, specialized right. issue. It's all lumped together. Whenever you see it mentioned in Scripture, it's mentioned alongside many other sins mm-hmm. of all kinds. Um, I, I often tell pastors, man, if you're a Bible-believing pastor who is laboring to bring people into the kingdom and to make disciples, you are absolutely qualified to do the work that you need to be doing. That's why when people say, what do we, how do we develop these special things, you know, to, to right. handle this? I'm like, oh man, do what you're supposed to be doing as a pastor. I think pastors need to be reminded. You can shepherd. If you understand the basics of discipling and you can speak to the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, congratulations, you've got what it takes. Mm -hmm. We come in with a little extra information here and there that they might need. But but I encourage pastors, please preach on this openly from the pulpit. Talk about the fact that the world is buying into something God never intended and talk about the fact that within the church, all of us have been affected by the sin nature and thereby there are people in our churches who struggle with gossip and who struggle with selfishness and who struggle with homosexual temptations. Make it safe for people to admit that they have the temptation. Don't give them permission to give into the temptation. Yes. So make it a place where, and and when I say you know don't don't give them permission, that doesn't mean punish them if they do. But what it does mean is you don't take an attitude of oh well, since it's safe to admit the temptation, don't worry if you sin. No, I think we should call people to holiness right. as we should call all believers to holiness. But talk about it openly. That's a big big part of what I believe pastors can do in our congregations. You and I, ministries like yours, you can help people develop. Support groups, study groups, Mm -hmm. prayer and accountability groups, you know, with the information you have and the material you've written, you know. And um, so I think in that sense, we can strengthen the church. But I think one of the best ways we strengthen the church is by reminding the church, this is Christianity 101. The believer comes into the body of Christ with a number of issues, if you want to look at it that way. Mm -hmm. Wounds that we've sustained and lies that we've believed and sins that we are susceptible to. All three. Mm -hmm. And within the body of Christ, what do we do? We work to be healing agents of the wounds people have sustained. We work to be exhortive with people and and, and, uh, with our teaching and with our lives to challenge the lies they've believed. And we want to be accountability to people to encourage them not to give in to the sinful tendencies they have. Yes, yes. And if we can do that, man, that's the lion's share of the work, I believe, right there. Well, you know, I have, when I speak and teach and preach or when Melissa is, you know, with me or she's um, doing a conference on her own or whatever the case, uh, I have uh, said over the years that there are three, in my opinion, our opinion, there are three top voices in the world dealing with these issues from a biblical perspective. And that would have that would have been Cy Rogers back in the day before the Lord uh, brought Cy Rogers home. Um, that Absolutely. would be Andrew Kamiski, um, in my mind as well, who has had Desert Stream Ministries running for 42 years and Living Waters, um, the Living Waters program, which was so helpful. Melissa and I met at a Living Waters training back in 2004. So oh, there's lots yeah. of things that we owe to uh, Desert Stream and Andrew Kamiski. But it uh, also just the discipleship we've received through his ministry over the years, but also the third would be Joe, you, I mean, um, you, uh, and, and by no means the least of the, no means the least of the three, you three have been such powerful witnesses, um, and, and examples. And of course, no one's a perfect example, but powerful examples of lives yielded to, to God over the years and what he can do with, um, simply 
um, walking faithfully, putting one foot in front of the other and walking in a direction toward him over the over the course of years and time. And uh, so in light of that, I mean, how can people um, best uh, be in touch with you? Well, I know you have uh, the podcast that you're doing now. You have a website and a ministry. Um, and also, Renee, I, I refer uh, wives and women to Renee um, when when they're kind of stuck uh, due to some of their husbands or um, issues, uh, sexual issues uh, with husbands or boyfriends or whatever. Um, how What's the best way of getting in touch with um, each of you? Well, um, you know, if you've got a gun, feel free to shoot me anytime. Now, I just got <laughs> put in the same category as Cy Rogers and Andy Comiskey. This is the way I'd like to go. So, you know, feel free. <laughs> um, anybody wants to contact me, just my name, joedallas.com. It's my website, joedallas.com. They want to email me directly, joe at joedallas.com. So it's pretty simple, joe yep. at joedallas.com. And both Renee and I, uh, we speak in churches. We we love to work with pastors. If pastors just want to talk about issues they've got in their own churches, love to do that. I do a seminar, uh, Sexuality and Truth, where I talk about a lot of the things you and I have been discussing mm-hmm. and uh, speak at churches regularly. And, of course, I do biblical counseling if anybody is personally dealing with this or a parent of somebody who is dealing with it. Um, we're available for them as well. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate that. And I know oh, anyone listening Gary. to this or watching I'm it. I'm so glad you're doing this. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And we look forward to seeing you in a future episode. Thank you.